The Anton Savage Show Saturday with Nifty Business on News Talk. When uh, my next guest's first book was published nine years ago, he was hailed as the new, quotes, Freddy Forsyth. His second book, The Year of the Locust, has just been published. He joins me now with the revelation during the break that not only did he spend a lot of time living in Ireland, technically he's Irish. It's nice to have you back, Terry. Well, that, that is absolutely true. I can have an Irish passport if I wish to And have why it. have you not? Well, that's a very, very good question and one that I'm not willing to answer, but <laughs> has a lot to do with the fact that I don't drink alcohol. Have you ever? Uh, I gave up uh, about 35 years ago. I was a journalist. And now, this may be unfair, but you strike me as a man whose story as to why they gave up might be good. Uh, it, it could be good, uh, but I'm not willing to reveal it. <laughs> no, I, I gave up drinking uh, and, you know, having been a journalist, it was, you know, part and parcel of the life. But I start, I had a meeting with a guy called Dr. George Miller. I was working actually as a radio producer at that time in in Melbourne in Australia and George and I had a mutual friend and uh, this mutual friend organised for him to come into the office and this guy who was a medical doctor of Greek heritage, unusual looking, very happy person, said to me, I've made a movie. I've made a movie. I said, oh, really? That's fantastic. He said, I'm looking for somebody to write screenplays with. And I thought it'd be an interesting idea to meet you. And I said, oh, that's very flattering. He said, would you like to see the movie? And I said, sure. And uh, so he showed me the movie on a little black and white TV screen. I didn't understand any of it. It was incomprehensible. He said to me, what do you think of the lead actor? I said, yeah, he's a pleasant looking guy. Uh, He said, do you think he can act? I said, well, I'm not the person to judge. That was Mel Gibson. The movie was Mad Max. And I went on to write a number of Mad Max movies. Now, hang on for a minute, Terry. There is a name in the middle of this that I am intrigued by, which is George Miller, because George Miller is a character that I've always been intrigued by, given, as you say, emergency room physician, Mm -hmm. actual honest to God doctor who gave up a nice permanent pensionable position in medicine to be responsible for the Happy Feet movies, for the Mad Max movies, for the Babe, Pig in the City movies. Did you look at him when he was a doctor and think, yeah, this is a man I can work with on making epic films? No, no, I looked at him and thought, you're a complete lunatic. (laughs) But for the same reason you did. Who would give up medicine to go into making what was then very low budget movies and that but he the great thing about him was he was passionate of course passionate about movies and that in retrospect i didn't know it then that is the most important thing you you, you know you've got to be last man standing in the movies you 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 have to you know have that resilience and that determination and george had it and uh, of course went on to win a couple of oscars and uh None on projects that I worked on, which is probably, <laughs> there's probably a message there. <laughs> and that, but yes, and he introduced me to the movies. So does that mean that you were responsible? Because if I have this right, you wrote, you co wrote uh, Road Warrior on Thunderdome, isn't that Yes, right? that's right. Were you responsible for the death of Toe Cutter? Was it you that ran him over with an Arctic? Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. And that, oh, yeah, the, um, we killed a lot of people. <laughs> Um, there was, there was a, a review of uh, Mad Max 2 Road Warrior in India and it started brilliantly. I'll never forget it. It said, the people that made this movie should be hung. And I thought, hmm, that's an interesting opening paragraph. And it went downhill from there. It got worse. 
And I thought, well, I'm not going to India, for God's sake. But we got good reviews in Ireland, so I was very happy to come here. Which is amazing, because at the point at which Mad Max came out, the Irish approach to censorship was was red in tooth and claw. We had banned the life of Brian. So Mm -hmm. having movies where you have people losing all sorts of limbs and body parts and getting run over by all sorts, were you disgusted, therefore, to see your former uh, colleague, George Miller, move from words on a page to storyboards and almost no dialogue? Do you think you've removed all of my brilliance and genius from these movies. No, no, you know, George is on his own journey and um, it didn't surprise me. I mean, I I have been asked a number of times to direct movies myself and I've always said no. And the reason being, I don't think in visual terms. I think in words and, and paragraphs and emotions. So it's a very happy collaboration because George brought to it something that I never could and I'd like to think that I, I contributed something that was, you know, outside of his wheelhouse. But uh, so I'm not surprised at all. Uh, George's great passion was silent movies. That's where he learned about movies. And he always used to say to me, you know, the last arrow in your quiver is talk. That's the last thing. Now, you know, being a a, a writer, I can't say that was the best news I ever heard. But but for movies, that there is a lot of truth in that. Well, where you talk about thinking and writing, I read a thing about you that said that in the work after I Am Pilgrim, you had written, um, you had been in, in development and had worked out and, and written out more than a million words that you subsequently disposed of. Yeah, yeah. How do you throw away a million words of work? How do you write oh, a million words I, I, and say, I'm not going to go through with it? I, you've got to have mental problems. There's, there's no doubt of that. No, no normal person would do this. Well, you know, I, I was very... I, I was really taken aback by the success of, of Pilgrim. I, I read a story that was basically something that I would have liked to read and for it to have found, you know, a worldwide audience and been praised by most people, not everybody. You just go on Amazon and see the one-star reviews. It's so still a step you... up from these people should be hung. <laughs> well, that, that, that's true. I, I'm moving in the right direction. And that's, so um, I was taken aback by that and... I was in the fortunate position of, because of the movies and that, of having the financial resources that I, I could devote the time that I wanted to, to to craft a story that really is outside of the spy genre. It starts in the spy genre, but it moves away from that in some regards, and I hope is exciting and all of that. And, you know... Dean Koontz, who's an author, wrote a hundred. Has written. He's alive. Has written a hundred and nine books. Now that is really an achievement. I mean, my God, what an achievement! But on the other hand, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote two books: the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the Hobbit. So you know. We have a choice, don't we? Do you want to be Dean Kuntz or do you want to be J.R.R. Tolkien? (laughs) Now, I'm not saying I've got Tolkien's ability, but I've got the ambition. Well, you will be delighted with the text that has arrived in, literally as you're speaking, that says, if I was told to bring one book to a desert island, it would be I Am Pilgrim. So that's in the J.R.R. Tolkien end of the spectrum. (laughs) The Year of the Locust, give us a sense of it. Well, it, it starts off a, 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 as a as a spy thriller, of course, but he's a most unusual character. He is more tapped into things that we don't understand in the world. His life is saved when he's in Iran by 
hearing what he calls gunfire from the future. He's facing a canyon where he has to go through and he stops and he gets the most terrible feeling of dread. One of the horses, one of his pack team, doesn't want to go in either. And he listens and all he can describe it as is that he hears gunfire from the future. Now, he's a scientist. He has a science degree and that, and he knows this is ridiculous, but he won't go into that canyon. A short time later, he discovers they were waiting for him. He was dead the moment that he walked into that. And a group of things start to, to unravel, to become real to him. He, he is married or he's in a committed relationship. And at one stage, his partner says to him, you know, how much she hates the work that he does. And he says, I see death all around me. All the time I see death all around me. And she says, my God, yours. And he says, no, yours. Oh. Uh, and that. So oh. he goes through these things and it all comes true. It all comes true. But he saves her. He saves her life because of this rip in time, this rip in reality that he he sort of straddles but will not acknowledge to himself. So, you know, we all know when we do a story like this, whether it's a movie or a book, the hero is going to live. I, I mean, otherwise, it's going to be too damn depressing. I couldn't even write it uh, if he dies. So we know he's going to live. The question becomes, how does this author or storyteller tie all of this together and make me believe it? Well, if you want to find that out, the way you can do it is by reading The Year of the Locust. It is the new novel by Terry Hayes. Terry, thank you so much for coming in. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday. With Nifty Business. Saturday morning at nine. On News Talk.